Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Friday, November 12th. We begin with our weekly conversation with Mayor Jyoti Gondek. We asked the mayor what, if any, impact the newly announced climate emergency declaration for the city will have on the average citizen and get the latest on the continuing budget talks. Then we head stateside for an update on the latest headlines. So we speak with Jackson Prosco, Global News Washington Bureau Chief. Jackson updates us on the upcoming meeting between the USMCA Economic Coalition on Cross-Border Trade, as well as the continuing battle against COVID-19. November is Lung Cancer Awareness Month. Unfortunately, it's a type of cancer that has historically been stigmatized. We look at the views many people still hold surrounding the disease with a special report from contributor Dave McIver. And finally, we bring you the latest on all things entertaining available on TV, in theaters and streaming just in time for the weekend. We catch up with Brett McGarry of the Couch Potatoes for a complete list of what's new, including a director's cut from the Rocky series. And this week, Calgary took steps towards declaring a climate emergency in the city. To talk about this and everything happening at City Hall this week, we are joined by Mayor Jyoti Gondek. Good morning to you, Mayor. Good morning, Sue and Andrew. Thank you for taking the time with us. And I, I know we touched on it last week, but this week you took the first steps to declaring a climate emergency for our city. Why is this important and what will the impact be on average Calgarians? Well, the reason this is significant is because every other city that has done this well um, has benefited from its industries being able to access capital markets that are looking to invest in companies that are trying to move to an energy transition. So that's what we're really trying to do is boost our economy by demonstrating that we understand how important the climate issue is right now. And obviously it is an important issue, but there are financial benefits to making this, uh, I guess, this this terminology in effect for us here in the city then, right? Absolutely. We asked our experts at the city, uh, why does it need to be called a climate emergency? That is the global terminology that um, people are wanting to see. So whether it's other nations that wish to join with us to become more climate conscious or whether it's asset managers who are looking to invest in cities and companies that are greening their initiatives. They need to see that language to understand that um, we're taking it seriously. It's table stakes. And what, ca- what kind of uh, a power does this give or what kind of a process is in place uh, beyond just having a, a name for something like that or a designation? Well, just last week, no, not last week, today is Friday, just two days ago, <laughs> everyone. I was uh, with the World Petroleum Council, uh, Calgary chapter, and they were talking about the World Petroleum Congress coming here in 2023. And the theme of that conference is the path to net zero. So energy companies themselves are very interested in net zero by 2050. And I think it's important as civic leaders to demonstrate that we're interested in the same thing so that our city is perceived the same way. Mayor, let's switch gears a little bit. I know it was the first order of business for the brand new council and for you as a brand new mayor, and that was deciding on property taxes and working through that. That was a, a big and a large uh, order for the first group to to come in and try to figure out. So where are we sitting with a tax hike or a, a potential tax hike? Well, what's really tough for a brand new council, and I can attest to this in 2017, is just the sheer volume of things you have to digest in those first couple of weeks. The good news is that we are only deciding on one year of a four-year budget. It's the final year that's before us. The really heavy work will start next year when we are setting a four-year budget for the city. But for this particular year, our administration has come to us and indicated 
where there might need to be some bump-ups in service levels uh, within the existing budget. I know that um, a lot of people at the doors talked about snow removal. A lot of people talked about putting transit routes back. So those are the types of things we're looking at. You mentioned, you know, uh, going with that one year, and then we're going to be expanding that. And, uh, yeah, kudos to all those new faces on council. It's always hard to touch uh, to start a new job. Mm-hmm. But I'm wondering, you know, beyond this year, I get the personal sense, and this is from my perspective, uh, Mayor, is we're going to get hammered at some point. At some point, we're going to be getting an increase like we have not seen in quite some time just to uh, due to the nature of the economy and COVID-19. Your thoughts on that? important thing to remember here is that we have partners at the federal and provincial level who are very interested in making sure that we can get through the results of the pandemic. I know that uh, we've been in conversation with ministries at both levels about what they can do to help us out. I'll give you the example of the transportation file. We are looking to see if we can get some extra funding on transit and the operating costs there. But Calgarians can rest assured that we are a very conscientious Council that is looking to make sure that we understand where we need to do a tax increase and where there are other sources of revenue. So we will do this very diligently. Let's talk about uh, something I've been hearing from homeless advocates, Mayor, and that's about talk about warming centers for the homeless in our city. The cold weather obviously is upon us and it's only going to get worse through the winter. So is that something that um, it might be a possibility that we come up with and, and sort of you know advocate for for our homeless community? It's a great question, Sue, and it's a conversation that my office has already had with advocates who do street outreach. Um, It's not something I talked about much on the campaign trail, but my team went out on Thanksgiving uh, to do some outreach work with Be The Change YYC, and it's absolutely devastating to see people in positions of vulnerability without a roof over their head just because of some crises that happened in their life. These are really good people. They are our neighbors, they're fellow citizens. So we have to be looking at ways to help them out until we can really address the housing crisis. So warming centers are something we're looking at. Not sure how it'll happen, but we are looking at the issue. Thank you so much for taking time out of your uh, Friday morning, and, and we're with you, Mayor Gondek. We weren't even sure what day of the week it is. We're back for one day morning of the weekend uh, uh, coming up. So thank you so much for taking the time. Well, thanks for having me. Have a wonderful weekend. You, you too. as well. That is Calgary Mayor Jyoti Gondek. Well, the U.S.-Canada land border has reopened. Of course, a lot of people know that. They've already made the trek down to the U.S. with uh, details on that. And the rest of the stories making headlines in the United States this week are joined this morning, as we always are on Fridays, with Jackson Prosco, Washington Bureau Chief for Global News. Hi, Jackson. Good morning and happy Friday. Happy Friday to you, too. Let's start with the so-called Three Amigos meeting that is uh, supposed to happen next week. Uh, What's on the agenda and how's that looking from the United States perspective? Yeah, officially the agenda, of course, is to talk about things like climate change and migration and ending the pandemic. But I think it's the things that they're not advertising that will likely dominate the meeting behind the scenes. Uh, things like, for example, Joe Biden's Buy America policies, which both Canada and Mexico are deeply concerned, uh, could exclude them and hurt their uh, you know, domestic industries. Uh, there's actually a provision in the infrastructure bill that calls for the U.S. to only give a tax credit to electric vehicles that are made entirely in the United States. And of course, Canada's auto sector is going to have big concerns about that. So those are the types of things we expect will actually get hashed out behind the scenes. All right, let's switch gears and talk about a high-profile murder case. Uh, Kyle Rittenhouse, the murder trial continues uh, this week. What's the latest? And I was kind of shocked when I when I dug deeper into it that this, you know, from the uh, killings that took place August of last year, August 2020. 
Yeah, so it seems like uh, closing arguments will be taking place on Monday, which means it'll be in the hands of the jury early next week. If you've been following the trial at all, it's been absolutely gripping and absolutely wild. And really, this has sort of become one of those cases that has become larger and emblematic of the culture wars taking place in this country. And sort of the question that I think the general public is asking, was Kyle Rittenhouse a vigilante, an armed vigilante who had no business going into these protests as a 17-year-old with a military-style rifle? Or was he a scared kid who was attacked and assaulted by the mob when he shot at three people, killing two of them? That's what this really comes down to. It all centers around uh, racial justice protests in Kenosha, Wisconsin, last year after the police-involved shooting of a young man named Jacob Blake. And that's where Rittenhouse drove from his home to Illinois to the protests in Wisconsin where all of this unfolded. Of course, the question of murder really is going to be focused on, uh, or intentional killing is really going to be focused on his actions in the moment and not his intent in driving out there. So it's a complicated case and not a slam dunk for the prosecution by any means. It's a bizarre story, you're right. You know, another one, another high-profile murder case going on is the Ahmaud Aubrey murder and bizarre comments from the defendant's lawyer yesterday. Yeah, this was absolutely bizarre. Uh, the lawyer got up to point out that uh, the Reverend Al Sharpton had been spotted in the courtroom at one point in the gallery uh, over the preceding days, and he said, and I'm quoting here, we don't need any more black pastors in the courtroom. Uh, for some reason, he was taking objection to the fact that various guests had come into the room to support the family of Ahmaud Arbery. Uh, we should point out, as the judge did and as the prosecution rightly did, it's an open courtroom. Anybody is welcome to come in. And yet the defense was trying to make the case that somehow this would be intimidating to the jury to have people like Al Sharpton in the courtroom and then made this bizarre analogy of, you know, well, what would happen if a bunch of people dressed up as Colonel Sanders wearing white masks came into the courtroom? Oh. Absolutely bizarre stuff. Yeah, very bizarre stuff. I mean, these are two cases Shocking. people are watching uh, big time. Also watching uh, the January 6th committee, of course, looking into the riots happening at the Capitol on January 6th. And we've heard time and time again about, you know, the Trump White House records. What is the committee looking to find from these records, Jackson? Essentially, they're trying to figure out what Trump knew, what Trump may have ordered on the date of January 6th. And uh, essentially, did he in any way or those close to him involve themselves in the planning and coordination of what took place? Was there a broader plot to actually storm the Capitol building and interrupt proceedings? That's all what's being examined right now. And essentially, it's tied up in the courts. There was a court ruling just last night that has temporarily delayed the release of key records from the National Archives. These are things like phone records and visitor logs relating to then-President Trump's activities. Trump is fighting the release of all of that. The courts have put a temporary injunction in place to prevent them from being released today, as they were supposed to have been, uh, while Trump continues his appeals in the court. So this is by no means going away anytime soon, but so far the courts have really been on the side of those investigating the actions and not on the side of those attempting to block the release of those documents. Let's talk about President Biden and uh, his work. A lot to be done. The trillions in financial relief, the federal government facing the highest inflation rate in, in what, 30-some years. So what is the government looking to do in, in light of that? 
Yeah, at this point, uh, obviously inflation is a major concern, especially when you look year over year, because so much of the economy had shut down in 2020 during the pandemic. Uh, at the end of the day, there is only so much that they can do. This is the economy doing what it does. I should point out that there's growing pressure on Biden to tap into the National Strategic Petroleum Reserve to try and lower gas prices because they're at their highest level since 2014. That's also, though, what happens when the economy is booming, of course. Uh, and we know that supply chain issues are also contributing to the rise in prices, and it's a mix of not enough people in the workforce and too many people who are trying to make up for lost time when it comes to their spending, their consumer spending. And those two things have led to a shortage of products and increased prices, supply and demand, right? Supply and demand. Hey, let's talk about, you know, the big story that continues to be half decently big in the U.S., COVID-19. Let's talk about perhaps some of the hot spots that are still being seen in the U.S. And, and if the variant is an issue when it comes to that Delta variant. Yeah, it is all about the Delta variant here right now. And essentially what we are seeing is what had been a, de- a decline in cases over the past month or so has paused and in many states reversed. I think we're up to 17 states now where case numbers are ticking back up. And of course, uh, as we know, much like Canada, the U.S. is a huge country, right? So the pandemic has never really unfolded uniformly. It's in different regions at different times. And right now it's largely in the northern border states and in Colorado that are seeing the highest numbers right now. Uh, I think it gives you a sense of what we are all up against here because one of the states with the highest rate of increase right now is Vermont which is also the state with the highest rate of vaccination in the U.S. Around 72% of uh, adults are vaccinated there. So it tells you that as people head inside for the winter with this highly contagious Delta variant, uh, those who are unvaccinated will continue to face risks. And, of course, that's leading to a stronger push for booster shots for everybody in this country mm-hmm. over age 18. Well, and we do know as well, U.S.-Canada land border has reopened. So uh, maybe Andy and I will uh, get a, a road trip together, Jackson, and come visit you now that we can. Drive on down. It's a, it's a long drive for you guys, but uh, always welcome. Okay. Always welcome in Washington. We'll, we'll, we'll set up a trip, perhaps. What, a little field trip. Share the maybe. driving, yeah. please. Okay, deal. <laughs> hey, thanks so much for joining us. Have a great weekend. Have a great weekend. Jackson Prosco, Washington Bureau Chief for Global News. Got a text, and we talked about the Kyle Rittenhouse case. And again, a 17-year-old who was in, this, in, in the crowd here at one of these uh, protests. Took his high-profile right rifle with him, from his state to another state. Yeah, had an AK-47 with him, and this texter says... You know, when the media starts looking for dirt on the judge and their minions attempt to photograph jurors, you know that they're trying to make martyrs out of the scum, that he acted in, in self-defense. If you're rolling up to a protest and you've got an AK-47 around your... I don't. I, I would think you don't bring something like that with you unless there's a possibility you might be using a mm, weapon like that. I know. He's playing devil's and, advocate. And unless you weren't there, really. Let's let's let the court case The courts are going to decide this uh, one, right? A decision will be made. We'll let you know what that is when it becomes public for sure. Lung cancer accounts for 25% of cancer deaths in Canada. Advocates are trying to end the stigma surrounding the disease. Our Dave McIver chatted with an advocate to find out more. November is Lung Cancer Awareness Month. Lung cancer is the largest cause of cancer-related deaths, yet in terms of awareness and funding, it lags far behind. Diane Colton founded the not-for-profit Unmasking the Reality of Lung Cancer advocating to bring lung cancer out from behind the mass of stigma, misinformation, and myth. Diane shared with me the story of her lung cancer journey. Okay, so my first time, of course, was in 2011. Um, I woke up in the middle of the night, coughing up blood, um, went to the hospital in emergency. Of course, they did x-ray, then they went to the CT, 
And at about four o'clock in the morning, the emergency doctor walked in and said, I'm sorry, you have lung cancer. So I was diagnosed at that time at 1B, which which is great in, when it comes to lung cancer, because I could have surgery. Um, so fine, major surgery, I had my upper left lung removed. Um, I was off work for two months. Um, that was December, February came up and I was back in the office and, and working by then. So um, kept working in the summer of 2012. I went to the doctors and we thought I had pulled a muscle, but it wasn't. It was, again, lung cancer in my right groin. So two of my lymph nodes um, contained lung cancer. So it metastasized. So I went from 1B to 4 in, in one instance. When it's your second time and it's lung cancer, because as far as anyone tells you, you're basically dead. <laughs> right no, no matter what so um so i had the radiation 10 treatments i was good to go um when a few years 2019 i was diagnosed again with the brain tumor and um again and i tend to read a lot and most of my reading said i had a two-year life expectancy with the brain tumor well i am past my two years i i had stereotactic radiation treatments um three of them and that's it. So I've been really fortunate in my lung cancer, if you want to call anything in lung cancer fortunate. Um, I haven't had to have the same level of treatments as about 99.9% .9 of people. I, I fit in a really narrow, narrow category of less than 1% who have the treatments that are so minimal, but also work for them. One of the stigmas around lung cancer is that it is a smoker's disease. And while it is true that if you smoke, you have a higher chance of getting lung cancer, it's not just people who smoke who can get it. It's not um, only smokers. There's non-smokers, which I am. So I quit 23 years before um, I was diagnosed. So basically more than half my life, I didn't smoke. Um, never smokers. It, it has to do, and, it, and it's a complex cancer, and I think that's maybe where part of this lies, is there's close to 50 different um, subtypes of lung cancer. So lung cancer is just wide ranging cancer, and it's not a one size fits all, it's not a one of anything fits all. So that's the big thing is the smoking stigma. Um, and leading into that, most GPs, don't look for can lung cancer in, in people who have never smoked. So and in that case, most of them at stage four is when they're diagnosed. And, and it's the toughest stage out of any of them. Stage one, close to 90% people will live over five years. At stage four, it's almost zero. So because of the stigma of this, it has created this lack of information. And, and again, that's the misinformation. And all these people are getting lung cancer and they don't know why. And I, it's so understandable. I mean, you never smoked and you were basically told your whole life that you'll never get it. But it's not true. What can we do to end these stigmas around lung cancer? Change the words. Um, that's that's one. So again, I call it a catalyst. I don't say it causes. It's a catalyst. It's it, it's part because um, if you combine smoking and radon, your um, likelihood of getting lung cancer is higher. So that's one. And 
And it's also about stopping to ask the wrong question. Um, first question most people ask when you are, when you tell them you have lung cancer is, did you smoke? Do you smoke? Um, and that's unfair. We, we don't ask things like that of other people with other diseases. It happened and it happens to a lot of people. So imagine, so bad enough with smokers because we shouldn't be asking them, but somebody who doesn't smoke or somebody who's quit to be continuously having to not only fight their cancer, but to fight the question. Lung cancer is everybody's cancer. It's the most common in the world. More than 2 million people in the world get lung cancer. 30,000 in Canada. Alberta has over 2,000. And in Alberta, with those 2,000, 1,700 will die this year. The research going into this deadly disease is strong, but as Canadians, it's possible we can do more in terms of funding that research that could help end the stigma. The research, which we have an amazing research um, facility at the new um, cancer center that's going in. We've got some of the top researchers in the world helping them get that and, and, and actually donating to the research is, is another amazing way to go. Um, because of how I, when I spoke earlier that lung cancer is a number of cancers, there's no one size fits all treatment for it. So you have um, targeted therapies, which are doing an amazing an amazing job at extending people's life, extending everything in their life. So their ability to function, um, their ability to just live, their ability for their families and friends to be around them. So lung cancer still in this country gets about 6% of all funds raised. I, I went in in my meeting and I went and found a, um, a national news newspaper on the funds raised in Canada, and this is from 2013, it's really difficult to find these numbers. So in 2013, breast cancer raised 62 million. And this is all private funding, so this is no government funding or anything like that. Lung cancer raised 210,000. So, you know, it's, it's way better now, but at 6%, it, it, it's still nowhere where it needs to be. I'm Dave McIver with Global News Radio, 770 CHQR. And the stigma, yeah, it, it's unfortunate. Well, you know, we hear the term stigma. We have so many different preconceived notions and, you know, uh, finger pointing. Well, this is the reason. It, it's very interesting, um, you know, that it, it's still such a stigma. On that cancer yeah, particularly, my, my father died of lung cancer and mm -hmm. he had quit many, many years before he got lung cancer. So, it, and, I, and that was a long time ago. That was back in 1986. And still it exists the stigmatizing people for later. having that type yeah. of cancer, uh, you know, still to this day. And I know it's something that's, uh, it's touched Dave McIver's family yeah. as well. So it's an important one that we continue to talk about. And it is uh, all month long, uh, Lung Cancer Awareness Month. And we'll dig into the topic more. So about the research, where we're headed, are mm -hmm. we doing enough here in our nation? Uh, we'll continue that next week with Dave McIver as well. It is Friday. Time to check in with our friend Brett McGarry of the Couch Potatoes. Find out what we need to watch this weekend. Hi, Brett. Happy Friday to you. Hello there. Okay, let's talk. We've got uh, a couple of, well, one on the big screen, one on the little screen, and then maybe another one. So we'll talk <laughs> about that. But in theaters, this should be a good one because let's face it, everybody loves that big red dog named Clifford. 
That's right. That's the movie, Clifford the Big Red Dog. And uh, I got to be honest with you. I don't know anything about Clifford the Big Red Dog. I don't remember Clifford from when I was a kid. Uh, and I, I can tell you that this movie is not getting the best reviews. 48% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh-oh. But, uh, yeah, it's one of these live-action hybrids where Clifford is now this giant CG character. So... Uh, looks like it'll, it's good for the kids, but they say it's nowhere near as charming as its classic source material. Oh, well, too bad. Still a built-in audience with Clifford and a great choice for families, perhaps. Uh, another one that's been around for a while, because, I mean, in my house, we know about Clifford. Clifford is a long-time, a long-standing character. Rocky Balboa, a long-time, long-standing character. And you're saying, you're saying, (laughs) we've got an impression live. Uh, You're saying to me uh, that we're going to do one better. We're going to bring out a director's cut of Rocky IV, which I think is interesting because to me, Rocky III is the best Rocky of all time. Rocky IV is good. Wow. Clubber Lang. Rocky III is your favorite? So Rocky IV, what's interesting about this is it it does have a following. It has Drago. uh, But why a director's cut with this one in particular? The ultimate director's cut, Rocky versus Drago. Yes, this is um, this is a movie that I think for a lot of people is this is my favorite Rocky, and uh, I don't know. I think I don't know why he actually went, why he decided to do this one for the ultimate director's cut, but he has Sylvester Stallone has spent like the last couple of years working on this. It was actually supposed to be released last year, but he just took longer to do it so they released it in theaters yesterday in the states for one night only and it's supposed to be a digital release they're saying on available on digital and on demand everywhere on friday november 12th so far i haven't been able to find it anywhere i got up this morning the first thing i did this morning is i checked my cable to see if, like my pvr to see if it was available on demand i've gone to google to see if it's there i've gone to youtube cineplex so far I can't find it on digital. I can tell you it's going to be in theaters in Canada for one night on December 8th in select theaters across the country. So maybe it will be available after that. Mm. I'm hoping it pops up today because I love this movie. And uh, they say in the trailer it's been voted the greatest fight in cinematic history. Mm. I don't know who voted it that way, but uh, (laughs) I I would agree. It's my favorite, although Clubber Lang is... uh, a good runner-up for me. <laughs> Call me an idiot, but what is so special about a director's cut? Is it just stuff that didn't get cut and we didn't see the first time around? 40 minutes of never-before-seen never okay. footage. Yeah. All right, 40 extra minutes. That's fantastic. How many Rocky movies have there been? Uh, there were 20? six, six I think. Rocky movies, and then there are, and then another two if you count the Creed movies, huh. Creed one and two. That whole Creed story, two, of course, featured the son of Ivan Drago. Oh, that's right. That's yeah. that whole story of how you know Sylvester Stallone just had to sell his dog, and nobody would take the movie because he wanted to star it. I mean, if people don't know the backstory, they should really look into that. It's pretty neat. Um, we don't have time for it, unfortunately, because we could talk about it. But I want to get to this because it's on Netflix this weekend. Looks like a cool movie with The Rock and Gal. Godot from Wonder Woman. That's right. Red Notice is the name of the movie. Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Ryan Reynolds, and Gal Gadot. It's, uh, the Rock plays an FBI agent who is trying to clear his name. He's been framed, so he pairs up with one of the top art thieves in the world, who is Ryan Reynolds, and together they are trying to take down the top art thief in the world, who is Gal Gadot. Looks super fun, great cast, but it's a Netflix movie, which means disappointment. Uh, Mo <laughs> is getting bad reviews. On oh, no, really? 
Yeah. Oh, darn. It's, it's I was that, excited about that It's one. in that category now, officially. <laughs> but a, a lot of choices this weekend, Brett. We've got our, you know, work cut out for us. And I know that you're having a winter-like weather in Winnipeg. So across the nation, uh, you know, a lot of people are going to be spending time indoors. And if you want to just hole up, you've got some great opportunities. Thanks so much. All right, guys. Have a good weekend. He's Brett McGarry of The Couch Potato. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.